0: Welcome to Bandit's Keep, I'm Daniel, and in this episode we're going to talk a little bit about magic in my uh, chainmail hack, we'll call it, sword and sorcery uh, game that I'm developing. I'm going to kind of go over some of my thoughts on the magic system, how it might work, and then there's a couple of calls from Jason, and I... I kind of changed my mind a little bit. so (laughs) And then after that, we got a bunch of other calls. So uh, let's get to it. Okay, so let's talk about magic. So I want to preface this by saying that when I first decided to work with Chainmail and OD&D, I had picked up a supplement called uh, The Age of Conan, Supplement 8, by Jason Vay. So I decided (laughs) uh, to look at it again, because I knew that he had done some stuff with magic, and I was pretty sure he had used Chainmail magic system Although I didn't uh, in my OD and D hack. So looking back at it, I see that he did in fact use the roll to cast, which is what I'm going to use. We'll talk about that a little bit. And, but what he did was he combined the cleric and magic user together into a single class because again, he's playing OD and D he's not creating a whole another game and he kind of combined the spell lists and he took out things he didn't think really worked in his world. Things like curing spells, cure like wounds. Um, things like fireball, I think is also removed. So, you know, to create kind of more of a, the spells that you have are things like, you know, summoning or whatever, whatever I'm not sure. Um, but I'm, I don't want such an, a huge spell list because I feel like in my world, I, or my initial sword and sorcery idea, I want magic to be even more rare than it is in Conan. So he says actually in supplement nine, so he's got supplement eight and nine, which both deal with, uh, the Conan world uh, number, uh, sublet nine is called Secrets of Acheron. So this is from Secrets of Acheron. This is on page five, actually, in the introduction. It's commonly thought that the Hyborian age, Hyborian age of Robert Howard is low fantasy or low magic. This is patently untrue. Magic is part and parcel of the Hyborian age. It's everywhere. It just takes a very different form, uh, that in what we might call vanilla or bog standard D&D games. Yeah, I, I don't doubt that. Again, I've not read all the Conan stories, um, but and this isn't going to just be Conan, of course. But I think that's true. There is magic around. It just it's you know it's from far off lands. It's certain types of peoples that use magic and they're they're hated or feared for it. This is the kind of magic that I kind of want, um, and I want to keep it open ended. So I don't want to have a player. You know, again, I think that choosing the to play a seer, right, a wizard is going to be something you're only really going to do if you're running bigger parties. It's probably the class that I'm not that interested in. Um, But at the same time, I want to have it because also we can use it as NPCs and enemies, right? And also because um, I feel like that you want to have some magic. I I think the magic is a good opposition to the player characters, even if they never use it. Um, But I also don't want to spend a huge, huge amount of the game on the magic system because when you... (laughs) I think, this is my my, my opinion here, the, the thing that you spend the most time on in a system is usually when people pick it up, they think that's what the game's about. You know, Many, many people will say D&D is about combat, early D&D is about combat, um, because they look at it, and at least the player-facing rules are primarily about combat. You know, While many people who actually played D&D back in the day would say D&D is more about exploration, but that is for an entire different podcast. But my point being is that if I spend a huge, half the book on magic, and then I say, well, you really shouldn't play a magic user... That's going to be weird. So I'm going to keep it simple. I'm not going to have an extensive spell list, and what I am going to do is go back to chainmail and just use those spells. So, but before I do that, I want to talk a little bit. about... Now, I'm not talking about magic weapons and stuff in a minute. Let's talk about the chainmail wizard as it stands. So, in chainmail, I'm not going to read exactly, but I will kind of go through the wizard as as the the I don't know token. I guess if it's a, in a war game, uh, the wizard is basically comes in four flavors. You've got wizard, sorcerer, warlock, magicians, and seers. That's five flavors, okay? They, uh, I think I mentioned this in the other one, but they will fight as two armored foot. If you know anything about the other system I was building, that's pretty good, um, or two medium horses. So if they're on horses, they can fight. Uh, they can handle magic weaponry. You know, if I decide to have that in the game at all, which I probably won't, um, and they have the following other powers. They can become invisible and remain so until they attack, they can see in darkness, and they actually affect enemy morale, as do uh, friendly and enemy morale, as do superheroes, which is really good, of course. Um, you know, if you're dealing with the mass combat system, having <laughs> better morale is going to help you. Um, this part I'm not going to use, which is they throw deadly missiles. That's your fireball and uh, lightning bolt spells. And then it says wizards themselves are impervious to normal missile fire. So... <laughs> So, forgetting about any other additions to it, this class is fighting as two armored foot, which is not as good as a hero, especially a hero that's you know has armor and stuff. They, uh, but they're still very tough, right? They are uh, able to turn invisible. They can see in the dark, and they are impervious to normal missile fire, which is pretty awesome. Now, I think I'm going to leave all that in. You know, I. I <laughs> Why? I don't know. I mean, maybe I'll make up some kind of reason why wizards are impervious to, to normal fire. You know, I, I like the idea of magicians and wizards, especially in a quote, low magic system, having stuff that goes on that people that creates rumors and thoughts about them, right? Like how Gandalf seems to appear when he's needed, right? Or disappear when he's, when people, was that wizard gone, you know? So I, I like this. Um, but going deeper into it, there's a whole thing here about the the uh, wizards uh, throwing the uh, the missiles, the fireballs and lightning bolts. I think that if you get to that highest level where you're a king or whatever, then perhaps having a wizard, uh, an actual wizard, could be cool. But I think, again, as in the group of heroes, I am leaning, or as, a, as an enemy, I'm leaning very heavily towards uh, the player character version of the wizard being the seer. So... Essentially, the Wizards can also do a Counterspell, which is a, a roll against another Wizard based on their um, their level, right? So a level meaning like Seer versus Sorcerer versus Magician. So if you've got a, uh, if you imagine, right, right uh, Conan the Destroyer, right, the movie, you know, the, the, how they had that little Wizard standoff. You could do something like that in a sense. You could play it out. Um, and then we've got Spells. There are 16 Spells here. Uh, which, interestingly enough, is if you roll a three d six. Right, <laughs> they're not labeled as such, but um, and they are they are set with complexity levels. So the way that spell casting works in chainmail is you compare the complexity level to your level. So in this case, it would be a seer, and you've got three options: spell immediately takes effect, spell is delayed until the next turn, spell is negated or otherwise uh, you know ineffective. So. What I'm going to do here is I'm going to use that system. So your your wizard or seer is going to be a pretty powerful combatant, you know, using a sword, uh, fighting with the uh, the hero side by side. And when it comes time that they should want to cast an actual spell, not just their invisibility or being able to see in the dark, um, they will be able to do that. And it will take a, a certain amount of time. And they can, they can cast a spell if they roll for it. What I'm going to add to this, which is not in the system, is I'm going to add some kind of a you lose the spell, kind of a la DCC, uh, which is probably if you roll double ones. Um, I don't know if I'm going to do lose the spell. I would kind of bounced around the idea of losing the spell for the day, which is kind of standard, but then, you know, I don't need to be standard, right? Uh, so I'm kind of thinking that if you roll double ones, instead of losing the spell, you will just fall unconscious, you know, Uh <laughs> Which is a hell of a lot worse. <laughs> so, you know, I think that could be really interesting and add some, some higher stakes to it. But, because there's only 16 spells, and if we look at uh, what Chainmail says here, it says, this is on page 32. Uh, In order to cast and maintain any spell, a wizard must be both stationary and undisturbed by attack upon his person. Number of spells. The power of magic user determines the number of spells he's able to manage. Uh, with a seer only being able to manage one spell, a wizard six to seven spells. Now, I'm not sure, and maybe I would need to, if somebody has actually played Chainmail or has more experience, or has read up on it more, because I haven't done any more research, because I don't really think I care. <laughs> um, does that mean that a wizard could cast any of these spells, but they can maintain six or seven at a time, and a seer can only maintain one? Or does it mean they only know one or six or seven spells in chainmail. I think it's the first the, the one, right? They that everybody can cast any spell, it's just that a seer would only be able to maintain one. This is not how I'm going to do it. I think what I'm going to do is that character creation you are going to roll randomly and you will know that one spell that is your spell. This will tie into the idea that instead of seers being this like a uh, book smart uh, old man wizard, they're going to be almost more like. You might consider, if you play 5th uh, edition d and a sorcerer, right? The magic is in them. Um, not like a superhero. I don't like that idea. I like the idea that they still studied, um, but maybe somehow they, you know, to learn a spell might might equate it to, equate it to like going to like a four-year college, right? It's like you literally go to school just to learn that one spell. That's how difficult magic is. So when you do get the wizard wizards, that know six spells, they've been studying magic their whole life. You're not going to find a wizard, you know, that's, uh, you know, in their young 20s, which is, you know, probably more likely the age of, of an adventurer that's going to, you know, they just wouldn't have had time in their life to study that much, which is why wizards are constantly trying to extend their lives, right? If you think about these sword and sorcery things, a lot of times it's like these wizards claim to be hundreds of years old and that's how they know all these spells. It takes a long time to learn a spell. So... You might be saying, well, okay, but what if I roll, you know, a uh, cloud, well, let's, I'm going to roll, I just let look down, saw the first one. Let's say I get cloud kill. So, <laughs> cloud kill, a gaseous cloud of poisonous vapors, which kills all men, orcs, dwarves, and the like, when it contacts them. So that's everybody but heroes, right? Cloud size is three inches deep by six inches wide by three inches high, stays along the ground, moving away from the magic user who casts it at a rate of six inches per turn. It will drift at a random at random if he's not concentrating on it. Okay, that is powerful, right? And it's also uh, very deadly, obviously. Um, but that's a complexity five spell, which means that if that is your spell, and you are a seer, yeah, you could kick some major butt. However, when you're rolling your two d six, you need to roll a uh, ten or 11 We'll cast it next turn, or a twelve to cast it on the spot. So it's not like you're just throwing a cloud kill spell. These are going to be things that you're going to take time to cast, to plan. You're going to use them during large battles. Most of this magic, because again, it's designed for a war game, is not flashy. uh, You know, melee combat magic. So these wizard spells are going to be um, very, very powerful. I mean, not all of them. So like, there is like light, for instance, um, which is a complexity one spell that you can cast a lot easier. But still, they're. I mean. It you know the light spell here wizard light, it extends at twenty four inches in all directions. So, you know if that if you're playing on a battle map with a with an inch being ten yards, I mean that's a heck of a <laughs> two hundred and forty yards in all directions to light that up. That's powerful, right? Um, you know again you're using it in a role playing sense. So I think that um, these spells are going to be pretty awesome. Now again depending on the player, <laughs> they might be like oh man I only got the, you know. Uh, Moving terrain, how useful is that? Well, it may never be useful in play, but that's that's the roll of the dice, right? That's what I'm thinking at first. Um, the other way I was kind of considering doing this was, so this is where I want some feedback. So those are the spells that exist in the world. You start with one spell, that is your spell. Now there will be like magical tomes and scrolls and things like that where wizards will be able to, or you know, seers will be able to find more magic to use. But none of that magic will be, like, uh, inherently in them, which means that if they, if they find a, a book that allows them to make, let's say, a flesh golem, right, that might be a magical book they find that a wizard would be able to use, or, or you know, ritually summon a demon. These kind of things are things that they can find, but they're just not going to be their inherent spell that they have learned or, and uh, brought into their system. And again, the reason why I'm talking about this, like we taking a long time to learn the spell and stuff that ties into the idea that I do not want the you know, that's why I don't like the idea of you forget it till tomorrow. Like that just doesn't make sense because I don't really think I'm going to use spell memorization. You just that's that's your spell. I mean, you could think of lots of ways to do it. It's embedded in you. Maybe it's maybe it's branded onto your body with some kind of magical uh, ceremony that then, uh, you know, imbues you with that power. Maybe it's tattooed. Maybe it's just in you, you know, somehow. Maybe there are rituals or prayers that you do every night to to uh, to remember it, or like a um, <clears throat> I don't know what it's called now, kata maybe it's called. Uh, whereas uh, I'm thinking to the Karate Kid, I don't know how accurate this is, so I hope it's not. <laughs> Anybody who knows anything about karate isn't offended by it, but like the idea, the movements that you do that that aren't actually fighting, but just like the movements that uh, represent the 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 skill. Maybe you have to do that every day to to maintain the spell, but that's all flavor, right? You can make any any of these seer ideas could be used. I don't want to be too heavy-handed on the flavor, at least not at first. I really, I really want to talk mechanics, the rest of it. You can justify just about anything in one of these games, right? So, <laughs> so I mean, I can figure out a way to make it make sense uh, if I, once I decide on it. But anyways, whew, went around a circle there. Uh, what I was going to say was, I'm torn between you roll a character creation for one of these spells, and you don't get any. And you can quest for them, but you can only ever have the one spell, uh active at a time so maybe we change it so that it takes some studying and i do go the other way right so you do learn it by scrolls or whatever or embed it but you can only really ever know one spell at a time um and go a slightly Vancey and I'm, I'm kind of not in favor of that but you know what do you guys think would do you think it would add more versatility because i know that one of the things rob said was that it's it, the, for the heroes right it's going to be a hard sell because mechanically they're all going to kind of be the same so um if you decide, let's say you have four people that are playing and somebody does play a wizard, they're only ever going to have that one spell. And it might be a spell that they might never cast. So it's not going to be a huge part of their uh, existence as a a, a seer or a wizard. What is going to be a big part is the ability to see in the darkness, the ability to read, um, you know, magical texts and stuff like that. Um, I think that's really interesting. Um, I had thought about the idea of of including something like when a, uh, I think this is in Jason Vay's uh, book, not in Chainmail, that uh, sorcerers who are near each other. Uh, by the way, I'm throwing out the word seer, wizard, sorcerer, all, all meaning the same thing, magic user. Maybe I should use the word magic user. Um, they can sense other ones, which is kind of a cool power too. So I'm up in the air about that because there is a detection spell. So, um, yeah, I'll have to think about that. But you know, this idea that like. Um, the the wizard is going to mostly be uh, the magic user is going to basically be just like a slightly less powerful in a lot of ways, uh, you know, combat wise hero, but with these added abilities. And I mean, you almost could think of if they could turn invisible once a day, they could see in the darkness. They always fight as armored foot, which again we'll have to explain somehow, right? Uh, they're imbued by the gods or however you want to do it. Um, now you've got your sneaky thief that Jason hates, right you could basically play the 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 seer as a thief right they they' they're scaling buildings they're sneaking in because they can see in the dark they're invisible you know they they're they're good fighters without wearing heavy armor um and you know maybe they've got a spell that's quite powerful as well that they could use depending on what spell you roll that could actually kind of determine what kind of uh, seer you are right it could help you uh to build some role play behind that um that that system so yeah i don't know uh that's where i'm up in the air so i think that oh that's what i was going to do one last thing i know i'm getting along here magic weapons so this i think is interesting i'm going to read from jason bay's book again because i kind of am on a similar page to him um, as far as magical items go magic items of, this is on page 26 magic items of any type are rare and unique and almost always serve a specific purpose there isn't a lycanthrope longsword. Rather, there is a set of long swords constructed specifically to deal damage to the lycanthropic monsters of a certain lost island. Outside of this lost island, the sword, while fine quality, would impart no special game benefits. Most persistent magic items are for sorcerers, although certain swords, girdles, and rings can exist. I don't know that I would necessarily even have the the girdles and stuff, but um, he's talking about uh, from the people of Black Circle, Conan was given a girdle that allowed him to fight. but again, they're all very specific, right? So, in other words, like, this girdle might exist, but again, it's only going to have that specific magic effect against, uh, you know, these certain creatures. Um, and then he points out that, um, in the phoenix on the sword, the ghost of the sage Epimetheus traces a magical phoenix on Conan's sword, which enables the new king to battle a, de- uh, battle a demon sent against him by Tha-Amon, the sword, of course, is broken in the process. So yeah, magic. Uh, to summarize, at least as I see it right now, um, magic in the world or in the game is going to be something that is primarily used by the bad guys. <laughs> you know, you're going to have wizard or sorcerer or uh, seer, even uh, bad guys that are going to be running cults, they'll be using their their magical spells in various ways, and the heroes will often be opposed to them. However, this game is open-ended, right? So <laughs> you obviously can join forces with uh, such cults and wizards and stuff and, you know, break, break connections with them and, and, and it can change through the course of the character's life. Or you can, you know, if you're playing with enough people and you decide to use the seer, magic user, wizard, we would call it, as a class... It will add some flavor, but it won't make the game about, oh, I've got one spell a day, or I've got... Now, you do only have the one spell, right? But that spell will not define the magic user. The um, ability to 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 be a decent fighter is going to be much more important. The ability to turn invisible uh, also very important, right? So I think that um, the, the magic user slash wizard is going to have a much different flavor than... Um, and then let's say in, in your typical D&D game. Now, I will, in fact, I'm just thinking now that almost closer to what an elf tends to be like in uh, OD&D as we've been playing it. Because since they can use all the weapons, you know, usually when somebody's playing an elf in my OD&D games with Chainmail, they're usually wielding like a sword, but they can still cast spells. And I feel like that's going to be closer to the wizard that you're going to find in this game, at least in my mind. Of course, a very smart a wizard is going to have their henchmen do all the fighting and not going to fight themselves. But when they stand up against Conan, you know, there's going to be, you know, a battle. Okay. So last thing is going to be where, so Jason mentions, you know, there is magic, right? It's not magic is everywhere. and It's just seen differently. Right. And I think where you see magic the most in Conan, at least in my, the stuff I've read is in things like demons and, uh, Uh, spaces that you go into that have strange magics and this kind of thing. So I think where magic is going to be a bigger part of the game is not so much in magic spells and, 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 you know, as defined as like players running around casting spells, but rather in the greater magics of the universe and in monsters. So I think monsters and foes is going to be the next thing I start to talk about. Uh, I hope this wasn't completely unclear. (laughs) I know I, I'm kind of doing a ramble, but I, I'm just trying to get all the magic thoughts out there. As I start to tighten this thing up, um, you know, I'll get I'll start actually reading the writing that I'm doing that that has like more of a solidified kind of rule. But I just want to kind of get it out there into the world. Um if you do have uh if you haven't picked up chainmail, I mean, I think it's worthwhile to pick up uh, if you want to uh to know where I'm drawing the stuff from. But um otherwise I will this game is going to be in and of itself. I mean it is gonna be heavily, heavily, heavily shall we say influenced, <laughs> but I'm going to rewrite the whole thing. I'm not just going to say, go to chainmail page three to, to do it. I'm going to write the whole thing up as a game. And it is going to be completely self-contained, um, you know, using the uh, open gaming license, I guess, is how I would do it. But anyways, that is a whole other thing. And that's way down the line right now. Uh, we'll uh, just move on to other things. I think what you outlined makes
1: sense. Um, I, I I think there will be a desire for the magic. Class, I, I, and that may be one of the bigger things that pushes away people that aren't necessarily your target audience but would otherwise play. I mean, we see that forced into even um, Pendragon, right? Pendragon, you're playing knights, but people want to play, you know, wizards. They, they, they want PC magic, which doesn't make any sense to me in a game where you're playing knights and families of knights. It, it, it just seems silly, but. People want to play that enough that they've included in the rules. So I I would not succumb to those things, especially since this isn't a paid project for you. And I I would strive to stay true to your vision.
0: Okay. So, um, I was writing up the seer idea, uh, the other day and, uh, and then I got Jason's call (laughs) and I was talking with my friend and, uh, we were kind of bouncing around, right? We kind of felt the same way in a sense that like the magic doesn't necessarily fit, right? There are wizards and, uh, you know, magic and stuff in sword and sorcery worlds. That all fits. But for the type of way that I'm thinking this game will be, because I don't want to, as I've said before, I don't want this to just be another OD&D clone. I mean, I already have that with the uh, OD&D with Chainmail, right? I already have the Chainmail combat system in like a magic-y world. So... We started tossing around some ideas and um, at first I thought, well, you know what maybe I'll just make the spells really hard to cast. Uh, set the casting time at uh, one hour as a turn and that you would need to um, spend as many turns as the complexity level to cast a spell. so like if you if you were going to cast polymorph, right which is a complexity four spell, it would take you four hours to cast it, and then you roll your dice and you still might fail. So that's going to make magic still not, you know, people less likely to use it. But it comes down to this idea that if you allow for a player character to be a certain class, a magic-throwing class, it does say something about your world. If you're allowing elves in the world, even if you say, elves are incredibly rare, there's only one elf per 100,000 people, player characters are still going to want to be elves, right? Like so, I don't. I don't know that um, I was succumbing to the magic because I think people want magic. That is interesting. I was just trying to figure out a way that I could have because I just feel like having more than two actual heroes at a time was a bit much. So that being said, I went back and started looking at the the combat stats, if you will, of the seer as I was writing them up, and they are pretty decent in combat, right? And I wanted to write up a way that I could explain that, right? Not that I, you need to explain it, but, you know, I thought, you know, the the ability to um, to be armored foot no matter what they're wearing, et cetera, et cetera. So I, I wrote up uh, the idea that uh, in combat, seers have the uncanny ability to seem just slightly adjacent to where they are truly standing. No matter how they arm themselves in troop combat, they defend as two armored foot or two medium horsemen mounted, and are impervious to normal missile fire. And then I started thinking, I don't know why, about the idea of um, ninja. Because <laughs> we were talking about the idea of like magic uh, being rare, right? And then it's, okay, now how do I explain that they can fight really good, if this other class, right? If we want to remove the spells altogether and just have them have some other stuff. And I started thinking, right, like I say, about ninja. And then I started thinking, what if there was a cult that took away children when they were young and brought them to be trained in kind of a secret way of fighting. Um, which then made me think of the uh, the assassin, the, the the kind of... And again, I'm not a historian, so I could be a little off here. But my understanding is that the word assassin comes from this group of kind of cultists that were uh, became like masters of daggers and like sneaking in and killing people. And like that was their thing. Um, and I thought, well, that's kind of a not very armored person that is... Uh, you know, a good fighter, let's say, or very deadly, you know, maybe I could create some kind of cult in this world that takes children away and uh trains them in this secret city and then releases them out into the world. Who knows why, right? Or maybe they escape because they don't want to be part of the cult anymore. And these could be interesting characters for, uh, you know, in addition to the party. They'd be feared or probably would disguise who they are, you know, in public, really. But if people knew that they were uh assassins, they would probably... uh not want to be friends with them, right? So they're not going to be the most common characters. You're still going to have them be pretty rare. And the other abilities that are kind of what the sea, or the combat abilities, if you will, the ability to turn invisible once per day uh, and see in the darkness kind of fits this like training thing. Because, you know, maybe they're turning invisible because it's magic. I mean, but maybe they just, that's a legend, right? Like again, like Ninja, it's like they can disappear, but really it's just skill, right? You could role play it any way you want. So I have now decided that I'm going to... Well, I'm putting out that for the world. That I think I'm going to go with um, the assassin. I'm just roughly calling it now as a class. As a secondary character class, if you want. Um, I will say this. So there's a couple things. Number one, um, in troop combat, they're going to... Well, regardless, right? They're going to be easier to kill because they're two men versus four. Um, The armored foot, you know... (laughs) is really good in troop combat, especially when you're first starting and you don't have armor and stuff. But keep in mind that only heroes can progress through the through the ranks, right? So the they'll never have that plot armor. Once they go down, they're they're defeated dead basically, because they're always going to be considered wanderers in that sense. And I decided that because this ability isn't necessarily magical, it's not like they have hard skin or something, that this would not be the case in man-to-man combat. So in man-to-man, they're still going to attack and defend based on whatever weapon they have. Uh, but I am going to say if they're unarmored, uh, they'll subtract two from their attacker's dice, which is pretty good. But that then puts them in a situation where if you're playing this character, you're probably going to play them as unarmored and light weapon because you mostly won't need to be carrying weapons. And it kind of works thematically with the assassin-type character. And again, these are going to be more like sidekicks. They can never really, uh, you know, if you, if you you if you join this campaign and you decide, well, I'm just going to make an assassin, I'm not going to make a hero, well, you'll never really be able to advance in the campaign world, right? You're going to just play this character, which is cool. I mean, if people are into that, especially if they're, um, you know, not going to play every week or whatever. But the way I really see this campaign working and and the way this kind of structures together is that we're going to have multiple heroes in the world. Sometimes they're going to adventure together, sometimes not. So it's not like you're playing, um, you wouldn't necessarily play this character all the time. Mm. You might make a assassin character to play when your friend's playing their hero as their kind of sidekick. But then when you're playing your hero, that assassin character's not going to be in the game at all, right? The the other, your friend might play, you know, your men or whatever. So I think that's going to be a thing. This really is something, I'm, I think it's very different. I mean, I could be wrong. Um, it's very different than anything I've ever played. Because I think that ultimately my goal here is to keep this, or at least set into place, an idea that this would be... This is a campaign, right? Multiple characters, uh, various things happening. Uh, the world is large. It's not just focused tight in on, um, you know, a group of five adventurers as they, they you know, grow their, their themselves through levels like, like a DD and d group would be. So I think it's definitely a different approach. And I, I think that you're right, Jason. I don't think I am going to have the seer Uh, the magic user itself, be a class that you can play. I did already write up a lot of the stuff for it, so I think I'm going to keep them in the game as NPCs and, of course, as wizards in general, because the spells will remain. And I am going to go with the one turn is one hour and the complexity level, uh, setting the number of turns. And I'm also going to add some kind of material component to any of the spells. So, for instance, if you were going to, like... Let's say, for instance, you were going to summon a fire elemental, you might have to burn, like, you know, one ton of fresh limber. Limber? Lumber, <laughs> limber, uh, one ton of fresh lumber, you know, while chanting for five hours, and then you roll your dice and you might fail, right? So uh, it's not like it's going to be super, super common, and that's the kind of stuff that maybe your heroes will try to stop. You know, we've got a series of calls from Jason from Nerds RPG Variety Cast, uh, BJ from The Arcane Alienist, we've got uh, Evil Jeff from Minions of Musings, we've got Kevin from Red Caps. And finally, Joe from Ryan and a bus going by. So hopefully that is doesn't sound too bad. <laughs> so let's get to those.
1: Hey, Daniel, listen to your latest episode. And I really like the idea of zero hit points, you're defeated as opposed to you're dead. I, because it definitely leaves those options open. So I, I'm going to remember that. And definitely when I um get around to revising my game later this month, I will put that in there. Thank you. Very interesting ideas on how to deve- how to incorporate multiple player characters in your chainmail bikini. I'll be interested to see how the playtests go, but yeah, you know, I don't know the idea. True. So the the interesting thing is this is more of a much more of a, a narrative game, right? we because we're using the game mechanics to do the broad strokes and then we're filling in the world, whether it's the fighting the actual combat or whether it's what happens to the characters, they go up or go down, you know, in quote unquote level, right. In, in, in stature. Uh, so I think it's a very interesting system that will definitely not appeal to everybody, which is a good thing. Cause not all games should appeal to everybody.
0: And, and I look forward to seeing the rules. So I think a lot like the chainmail with OD&D hack uh, that I'm doing simultaneous with this, I guess. Um, this is one of those games, and at least in my mind, that's going to do a lot of different things. I want to call it like cinematic and not in that like cheesy, I'm trying to market it way, but in the way that like if you think about how movies are, they do the wide shot, these large establishing shots. They do these medium shots where you can kind of see tighter what's going on in the world, and then you've got your tight shots. And I think that's how we're looking at everything here you're going to have your tight shots of specific role play to kind of make negotiations, but then you're going to have, you know, your mid shots of like gathering up and, and and recruiting multiple, you know, men to your group. And then your really wide shots of like a thousand men on the battlefield battling it out. Um, so you're going to have all this stuff. We're going to come back and forth. So I think that probably does fall more into narrative. Um, not a hundred percent sure where those lines are, if there are even really good lines, but, uh, I mean, if you've got a a source that I could read up on, then maybe I would be able to speak. (laughs) more on what I think this game is, but that's how I would describe it. I think that you're going to, you could very easily play out in, in, we'll call it real time, you know, where you're having conversations and then you then have like a man-to-man combat where, you know, it literally does take, uh you know, two minutes to play out what will be a two-minute combat. But then you might have a troop combat where it takes two minutes to play out what would have been, you know, half a day, march across the field and then a combat. So... Hopefully it will have a cool and interesting mix of both, depending on what the player and the referee wants. Okay, I felt like Jason was going um, into something that he never got there, so maybe you can uh, let me know, Jason. Um, Or maybe you weren't. Uh, But I'm wondering if if the idea of tossing around the troop, you know, playing a group of people, uh, as opposed to playing a single character, uh, is as clear as I, I tried to make it. So just in case it's not, in an ideal world, let's say you've got three friends, Jason, Carl, and Joe. and they all want to play in your campaign. If Jason wants to play and Joe wants to play, it could be that Jason runs his hero and Joe runs the henchman. But the, ne- the next session though, Joe's uh, hero might be the focus of the story and then Jason would run Joe's henchman. So it's not that you' always run henchmen. they wouldn't always they wouldn't be like your character. It's kind of like when it doesn't make sense for your hero to be there, they don't have to be, but yeah, you can still be at the table. So I'm hoping that the strength of this system will come actually in campaign play. Um, if you're running a one-shot and, uh, you know, you get to be the henchman and somebody else gets to be a hero, maybe that won't always be fun, but if you're doing a long-term campaign, there might be times where your hero is off with their 500 men fighting a war, or it might take them a month to travel across an area where, um, where this battle is raging whereas some of the other heroes might be staying, you know, in that original town that you guys were in doing something else. And in those cases, your hero wouldn't be near the other hero, so then you'd play the henchman. That's kind of how I imagine it. I do think it's a little bit odd, maybe, for some people, and we'll see how it plays out, because, sure, there is this idea that that most people have these days, where if you're playing in a campaign, you play your character. You don't play multiple characters in different places, but I think that seems to line up more... Uh, in li- seems to be more in line, I guess we, we should say, with like uh, older versions of the game where you might run multiple characters because they're at different levels or again, maybe they have different ideas or different quests they want to go on um, or just because of timing, right? That's the reason why Gagex talks a bit about uh, keeping uh, close track of time. I think people often look at that and say, see that- they're just talking about counting how many, how long a torch burns. I think he is talking about that a little bit, but I think he's also talking about campaigns where one group where one party member or five party members want to travel three months across the land to go on an adventure, but then the other ones are back in town. Like, how does that work out time-wise?
1: Yeah, reference John's Fast and Furious role-playing. I mean, definitely for some groups, that's okay. And if you are playing, like, we only have a two-hour time block, we have to fit this in, then okay, I can get that. But personally, as a GM, if I open a game up and we spend the entire time with the players just bouncing off each other and talking to each other in character that's okay with me as a GM honestly if nothing happens story-wise and everybody just talks in character for three hours and everybody has fun that's a win now I'm happy to do a heavy combat game too but I enjoy listening to my characters bounce off each other and interact with each other in character maybe that makes me weird I don't know but I, I like all kinds of games so I'm not saying one's better than the other but I definitely don't mind it when my players players interact with each other in character.
0: No, I 100. percent 100 agree. And I actually feel the same way as a player. I think I one of my earlier episodes. I, I talked about this. I think I was replying to to uh, to Andy. Maybe so. Maybe it wasn't on my episode. but it was his episode where if where I was giving I guess player advice. Um, I said, you know, one of the things about being a player, because he was talking about how he's a player sometimes he gets bored because he's waiting for his turn, that kind of thing. And I said, as a player, I actually really enjoy listening to the other players. You know, I don't consider myself a great in-character role player um, or any kind of good role player. But, you know, uh, but I, I enjoy it, you know, and, and I enjoy listening to other people do it. And it's great when players can riff off each other and stuff. And I really enjoy it. So uh, as a player in a game where we people are doing it or as the GM, that doesn't mean I don't like to just, uh, especially with my chainmail system, line up sessions where we just play for half an hour. And in the end, there's, you know, 200 bodies on the battlefield. That's also very fun. So, like I say, different types of games, lots of different ways to play. All of them are really fun.
2: Hey, Daniel, it is I, the Arcane Alienist. <laughs> you keep, uh, <clears throat> I know you keep saying levels as a placeholder, and and saying you don't want to use the word levels with your your chainmail hack that you're you're putting together. Um, I think you nailed it, uh, either the previous episode or, or maybe two back, where you talked about reputation when you were saying that the difference between a, you know, a freebooter and a, an adventurer and a usurper and a conqueror and, and all those those sort of named levels like we used to have in, in uh, earlier editions of D&D. But when you said reputation, that was a good, I thought that was a good term. So you might look into that or other ones that I think of as you're describing the way the game works, particularly since the uh, the... The word that you use can go up and down based on the, the fortunes of the character. Would be standing or status. Anyway, enjoying the. Uh, the ep- Thanks,
0: BJ. Uh, yeah, that was. Those are good terms. Reputation. I, I really like or status. Uh, I'm leaning on rank right now as far as what I'm writing up, but maybe I will switch that. Uh, <laughs> uh, I don't know why rank just came to my mind. I think I just started writing it down. Um, so yeah, status or reputation, uh, standing, I like those. I'll have to figure out terms are going to need to be important at some point, I guess. So thanks for calling in.
3: Hey, Daniel, Kevin calling in from the Red Caps podcast was just listening to what do I want in a sword and sorcery game. And you were talking about, um, rolling first and then narrating afterwards. And I had never actually thought about it that way. I, I realized as I think about it, I've, I regularly switched between Uh, both. Sometimes I declare my action or what I think is going to happen, roll the dice and you're right. You end up having to almost, uh, like re-narrate again or, um, retcon or something like that. And then there's other times where I'm, where I just, I'm going to attack or I'm going to do this and I, I roll. And then afterwards we narrate how things go out. And the more I think of it, the more I should be doing the latter than the, the former, um, but thanks for putting that out there. It was a really interesting thought. It's something I hadn't considered of how I'm handling that, but uh, I may adopt more of your methods that way. Anyway, great episode. Take care.
0: So I'd see, the only downside to this, if I'm going to counterpoint myself, is that sometimes, especially in a big group, you know, I'm running Astonishing Astonish, Swordsman, Astonish, Sorcerer's Hyporious, when we have all six players, uh, uh, you know, people will just go around and say their thing I'm going to melee, I'm going to missile, I'm going to whatever. And then when they do, especially if they miss, then sometimes they are just like, oh, I missed. Which is fine, because I, I also am of the feeling that not every single move needs to be narrated. But, uh, you know, that is the downside of it, is that they might, like, lose their enthusiasm of narrating what their characters doing if they don't succeed, <laughs> depending on your car- your players, I suppose. The next message is uh, from Evil Jeff, and Joe are talking, referring back to where we kind of this back and forth where we're talking about, I, I had rolled a character completely random for cyberpunk, and I wasn't sure if um, <laughs> if I really liked what I got, you know, and the idea that was that, uh, you know, Joe, had, uh, Jason had kind of suggested, well, just change it. And my stance on that was, I rolled it. I'm going to roll with it, right? Why would I change it?
4: Daniel, it's evil Jeff. Did a little bit of catch up, got to your Cyber limbings episode. You're responding to Joe in this episode about the backgrounds for your cyberpunk 2020 characters and everything. And I agree with you. If you're rolling backgrounds, but then you're changing things, why the heck are you rolling in the first place? Just choose it. Choose something that you want. That just it makes no sense to sit there and go, well this is the background. You know, if you're going to add on to it after the fact, okay, I can see that. But you know, if you're oh, I don't like this and you're editing things, then why the heck did you even bother rolling? That just makes no sense to me. Sorry.
0: All right, yeah, thanks, people. to full disclosure. I mean, Jason did actually give me the choice to pick or roll, and I chose to roll. So, but again, yeah, once I rolled, I rolled, right? Because I understood in my mind that once I decided to make that roll. Whether I liked it or not, that's what I was getting. So uh, I'm with you. I don't, I don't see that just the, the changing, what you rolled. I do know next time I make a character, I might choose to go the other way and, uh, and pick. But, I mean, who knows? Maybe I'll enjoy what I rolled up. We will find out tonight, which will be in the past by the time this goes live.
2: Hey, Daniel, thanks, man. I like interacting with you, too. I want to apologize if I said that playing a character you don't want to play makes you a better role player. That's not what I was trying to say. And if I did say that, I was misspeaking. What I meant to say and what I would like to say is that for me, the exercise is when you're rolling up a character, rolling a bunch of random bits, random background, random stats random cash all that stuff it's taking those random bits and forming them into a character you would want to play because yeah dude nobody wants to play a character they just hate and it's not really about being a better role player necessarily it's about just having more fun right (laughs) it's more fun to play a character you do want to play yeah so that's that's the exercise for me i think it's a worthwhile exercise i don't know man that's just me anyway peace out
0: Oh, yeah, I mean, I, I'm not saying that uh, that exercise, as we want to call it now, is not uh, valuable. I just don't think I right. I I took it as uh, you know, I'd have to go back and list everything, but we'll just say I took it as um, since clearly that's not what you meant. Um, that you know, hey, better role players can deal with any character they're handed, which you know, <laughs> I didn't really agree with it. Which clearly that's not what you were saying. But yeah, it's an exercise, and I am. That's one reason why when you and Jason were like well, if you don't like it, then you just change it when the game starts. It's like, no, no, I, I want I want to go through the process of trying to play this character with what's in the background. We'll see if I can can make it work and see if that'll be really fun for me. Um, and, yeah, we'll go from there. So, I mean, so far, so good. We'll, we're will we going to play tonight, so let's see what happens.
4: Daniel, evil Jeff again. Decided to pause the latest podcast so I could respond to you real quick. That seems apropos, doesn't it? Oh, wait a minute. That joke's already been done before. Crap. Anyway, uh, I'm on the uh, hill next to you with usage die. I think there's a group of hills they are all anti-usage die people. And uh, I'm on the hill right next to you. Or maybe it's a hillock. Well, one of the two. But yeah, I'm with you. I don't see where that mechanic has shown me anything really useful. Except maybe food. I'm right there with you. I like the idea of food, water. That way we don't have to worry about it. You know, it takes into account that maybe some food spoiled by some chance.
0: Anyway, great show. Keep it up. Later. All right, then. I'd like to thank all my callers and all my listeners and (laughs) put out the plea for information. Now, uh, if you've been listening to the last couple and you've got some input as far as the. the magic system or possibly uh incorporating multiple player characters like the idea of uh, true play whatever you want to call it uh how you think that might work um yeah let me know i'm curious what people think i'm hoping to have a working playtest document very very soon and maybe get some playtests going i know that i've got some interest and if you are interested in uh playing in the game of the you know it'll probably just end up being a mechanical test to start with uh, uh, hit me up on the uh, the Audio Dungeon Discord. That's probably the best way to do it, I guess. Or leave me a message here, and uh, I'll see you soon.